Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Gift of Grace on the Word 1220. This is Phil Giuliani here on not just another awesome Sunday night, but Christmas Eve. And this is the Gift of Grace where we read and teach God's Word, and we proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. So I hope you've had an awesome Advent season in preparation for this night and day. And first of all, I want to wish everyone who listens personally a Merry Christmas from me and from Gift of Grace Ministries and from One in Messiah. And it's been another great year, another great time to be on the air and teaching and preaching the word and talking about the gospel. And we, I am going to continue into the new year. So you have to put up with another year of Gift of Grace Radio. But it's uh, finally Christmas. And I say finally in terms of the world, in terms of the secular Christmas. But for those of us that celebrate the birth of Messiah, this is the beginning of the Christmas season. What's come up to now has been preparation. We've been in the season of Advent, which is preparation for the coming. And we've read through so many of the prophecies of Isaiah and talked about John the Baptist and so forth. And I'm sure you've heard all those readings at your particular church. And now we actually are at Christmas, which commemorates the nativity of the Lord, the nativity of the Messiah, the nativity of the God-man been lost in the secular Christmas and doesn't really compete with elves and trees and snowmen and that kind of stuff. But this is why we're here. And it is a good time for us to help to preach the gospel. It's a great time to evangelize, to witness, because so many people have no idea what we're even commemorating what we're even celebrating. And what we're actually celebrating is uh, the term Emmanuel, God with us. And it comes from Isaiah chapter 7, as we've discussed, that the virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this literally means God is going to be living with us in flesh and in time. So the second person of the Trinity, who is the everlasting God, the ever-living God, who is the eternal God, who has always existed, exists now, and always will exist, comes into our space and time as a human baby, as a baby boy. And this idea of God dwelling with us goes back to the book of Exodus in 25.8. God says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. In Exodus 29, he says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and be their God. Zechariah 2 verse 10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and they shall become my people and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. This is a messianic prophecy back in the book of Zechariah. 
I'm coming to dwell in your midst. The nations, the Gentiles, are going to be joined to me, and they're going to be my people also. And you're going to know that the Lord of hosts has done this. Micah chapter 2, but you, verse 2, but you, I'm sorry, that should be chapter 5, verse 2, I'm sorry, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are of old from everlasting. So the prophet Micah even foretells where Messiah is to be born. The religious leaders repeat this to King Herod when the Magi come. Well, maybe we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But Micah tells everyone under inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And we see here at this time, it's a little town. It's the city of David. It's a city of royalty. But at the time of Jesus, it was a little town. And the royal line of David was really not very impressive at that time. But then the ultimate son of David, the ultimate descendant of David, yes, he's a descendant of David, would be born there. And he's going to be ruler in Israel. And so Bethlehem, why is he born there? Well, in Hebrew, of course, the name is Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And he is the living bread. Jesus refers to himself many times in connection with bread. He says, I'm the living bread come down from heaven. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But if you eat this bread, you won't die. You'll live forever. So he identifies himself as bread. He says, I'm the bread of life. So he's born in this town whose name literally means the house of bread. And it's also the city of David which is repeated several times in scripture because, of course, Jesse's house was in Bethlehem. David's father, Jesse. David, King David, grew up in Bethlehem. He was a shepherd boy. He was anointed to be king. In the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, God tells David through the prophet Nathan that from him, from his very body, is going to come the one who will shepherd Israel. So from David's very body is going to come the Messiah. And of course, this is why one of the main messianic titles is Son of David. And Jesus is referred to as Son of David by many people in the Gospels. And so as we move into these nativity accounts, I want to just take a couple of examples from Luke chapter 2. You all know these readings. I'm not going to read them all. If you don't know Luke's nativity narratives, then I'm not sure what to tell you because I'm sure you've heard them scores of times. And depending how old you are, you've heard them read every Christmas Eve and Christmas Day at your church. But it starts out with this decree from Caesar Augustus. It says in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, of course, at that time, was by far the most powerful man in the world. 
he was a pagan emperor, but what he didn't know and what no one at the time could have known was that this pagan emperor was used by God at that moment because the appointed time had come. God does everything at appointed times, as we always try to drive into everyone's mind. All the feast days, all the happenings, all of scripture, all happen at appointed times. And so this is an appointed time where Caesar Augustus tells everyone that they have to go to the place where their family is from to register for the census. This, of course, was a tax-related issue for the Romans. It wasn't just um, they wanted to know how many people were living around there. They did. They wanted to take a census, but it was for tax purposes. And so here's this pagan civil leader who was used in the plan. And so what does the plan do? It gets Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Mary is imminently about to deliver a baby. They go all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem because they were both from the house of David. They were both from the house and lineage of David. So according to the decree, they had to go to Bethlehem. They couldn't register in Nazareth. They couldn't register in some nearby town. They had to go to Bethlehem, which was the city of David. And so the creator, remember, Jesus is ever existent God. And as, as uh, Paul tells us in the first chapter of Colossians, everything was made by him and through him and for him. He rules over the whole universe. Everything subsists in him. So the creator comes into time in this little city as the son of David, as the ancient of days. There's no comfort. There's no glory. There's no special celebration going on. He doesn't go, he doesn't have Mary go to the temple so he could be born there. He doesn't go to some wealthy house of some religious leader so that he could be born there. No, he goes to this little town because prophecy had to be fulfilled. The prophecy of Micah, chapter 5, had to be fulfilled. And so the plan was to get Mary to Bethlehem at just about the time she was to deliver, which, of course, is exactly what happened. So no comfort there, no special circumstances, actually very poor circumstances, a stable, a place where there are shepherds in the field. And interestingly, many of the lambs which were taken to the temple for sacrifice came from this area. Many lambs were put in mangers when they were born to protect them because they were going to be needed for the temple rituals. So even the traditions that had developed among the Israelites, among the chosen people, were fulfilled that night in that the ultimate lamb, capital L, 
was also born in that in that same exact area and was put in a manger, just like the lambs for sacrifice. Because despite what the world will tell you today about what the gospel is, the issue is that Messiah came to die. The issue is that Messiah was born to shed his blood so that we can be saved. But we'll go into that, of course, some other time. So in this particular place, it's pretty well unnoticed, except except for the fact that angels go and announce this to the shepherds. Now, if you go to Bethlehem today, and it's, well, I guess if you, if you go on a tour, it's much easier to go. My wife and I have driven all around Israel, and you can't just drive to Bethlehem because it's under the Palestinian Authority. You have to go through a checkpoint, and you can't drive an Israeli car into there. So the long story short, it's not real easy to get to like many of the other, like most of the other biblical sites are. But when you go there, you're, well, the first thing you notice is that there's a lot of grassland all around Bethlehem and that there are still shepherds there. So these shepherds that night or that whatever it was, we don't know exactly when it was, these shepherds were the first to get the news. Shepherds were not only second-class citizens, but they were thought to be shifty and unreliable. They weren't allowed to testify in court. In fact, women and shepherds were not allowed to testify in court because they were felt to be unreliable. They got the first news of the birth of the son of David. Not people at the temple, not the priests, not the Sanhedrin, not the other rabbinical councils and whatever else they had. Nobody at the center of the religion got this announcement, but the shepherds did. And interestingly, of course, when you think back on it, Moses was a shepherd. Well, actually, you could go back even to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob took care of flocks. Moses took care of flocks for a long time. He was a shepherd for 40 years in, in um, the wilderness of Midian. David was a shepherd. In fact, he was taking care of sheep when Samuel was, was at his house to anoint him as the next king. He was the young boy who was out taking care of the sheep. Well, he's the one that got to be king and got to be the ancestor of Messiah, who to this day we call the son of David. They get, the, they get a word while they're caring for sheep. Moses does, David does, Abraham does, Isaac and Jacob do. Then we go down to Jesus, since we're talking about his birth, and he refers to himself as the good shepherd. If you haven't read through John chapter 10, do that. Uh, when you're settled down from all the Christmas commotion, read John chapter 10, and you'll see how Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd. In fact, as you know, we get the word pastor from the Latin word for shepherd. 
all religious leaders are supposed to be shepherds. They're not supposed to be powerful rulers. They're supposed to be shepherds. They're not supposed to be bureaucrats who shuffle papers and make pronouncements. They're supposed to be shepherds. And Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. And the shepherds that were there that night, and presumably they were there every night, and it sounds from the text like it was night. It doesn't sound from the text that it was the middle of the day. So we'll assume it's night. They see glory all around them. It's a little scary because there's an angel. There's glory all around them. A multitude come. And the angels have to say, don't be afraid. And if you know me, you know what I'm going to say next. Every time an angel encounters a human in the Bible, the angel has to say, don't be afraid. Because they're not little chubby things with wings and halos around their head. They're very huge, massive, formidable-looking creatures when they take on some visible shape. And the angels say, don't be afraid. Because we're bringing you, I'm bringing you, and all these other angels that are coming after me are bringing good news, which is for all people. For all people. Not just for you guys here. Not just for the people living within 100 miles of here. Not for just the Jews. We're bringing good news for all people, and it's news of great joy. Because a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. The Messiah has been born, actually has been born. They announced that he has been born this day. They say he's born in the city of David. And the shepherds would have immediately said, whoa, son of David, whoa. He's talking about the Messiah. So son of David, he's born this day. And he's born in the exact place that the prophet Micah prophesied that he would be born. So that's pretty exciting. So it's good news for all people. Why is it good news for all people? Because he's the savior for all people. Is everyone saved because he was born? No. Is everyone saved because he died? No. But he makes salvation possible to those who come to him. And so this is great joy for all people. And then the angels tell them, you know, you're going to go find him. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. You're going to find him. He's son of David, but you're going to find him in these really poor circumstances. And he lived in poor circumstances all his life. All his life, because he condescends to that. And as I like to say, after doing many, many mission trips to garbage dump, inhabited garbage dumps in Mexico City, Jesus left the glories of heaven to come and live in our garbage dump. Because no matter where you live on this earth, you live in a garbage dump. I don't care what kind of mansion you have, what kind of awesome rich people you have around you, how many country clubs you belong to. You live in a garbage dump. And he condescended to come and live in our garbage dump. So tell that to your friends that are putting up elves and snowmen and 
eating and drinking and celebrating. He came to live at our garbage dump. And then a host of angels, it says, come, and they're praising, and they're singing to the God of hosts. You know, the God of hosts is a very important title that goes through the Old Testament. I don't think it's mentioned too many times in the New Testament. I haven't counted. But this was through the Old Testament that he's the Lord God of hosts. In Hebrew, it was Adonai Elohim Savaot. He's the God of hosts, the hosts of heaven. And these angels who are part of the hosts of heaven are singing about glory to God in the highest. Why is it glory to God in the highest? Well, because he's made a plan of salvation, and the plan of salvation is now here and in flesh and ready to go to its conclusion, which is the cross and the resurrection. So God gets the highest glory for this. It's glory coming for our redemption as well. Because when we're saved, God gets the glory for that as well. Because we do not earn our salvation. We're not saved because we're so awesome. We're saved because he died for you. So God gets the glory for that. And this angelic praise proves that this baby, who apparently has just been born, a very short distance from where these shepherds are hearing this, is the Son of God. He actually is the divine God, or else angels wouldn't be praising. Angels wouldn't be singing and praising for a man. In fact, the Bible is very clear that you don't praise and bow down to creatures. I'm not going to go into all that, but you know all these passages. One creature doesn't bow down to another creature. One creature doesn't pray to another creature. So the angel's praising proves that this child is divine. So, in fact, the writer to the Hebrews points this out in um, Hebrews 1, 6. He says, let all the angels of God worship him. So these angels are singing glory to God in the highest, and they're worshiping him. The writer to the Hebrews says, that's what the angels do. So interestingly, the shepherds go right away. They don't delay. They don't say to each other, I don't know what's going on, but this is pretty weird. I don't think we should just go rushing off. Maybe we should just hang out here for a while, think about what we should do. Maybe we'll go tomorrow. Maybe we'll go in the daylight. No, they go immediately. No delay. They don't doubt that this event has happened. And they don't doubt that this is the Messiah. The shepherds have no doubt in their minds what has happened and what the significance is of what has happened. And so they're the first to see the glory. They hear the report from the angel. They hear about God's glory. And so they say, let's go over there and see what's going on. Let's walk over to the town. Let's walk over to where this baby is and go see. And that's what they do. And they experience 
this newborn baby, they experience Mary, they interact with Mary and tell her about what has just happened to them. What they heard from the angels, what they understand that this means. And she listens to their testimony and just, you know, you get the sense from the, from the uh, text that she's trying to understand this. She's reflecting on this. This is pretty unfathomable for anybody, let alone a young, uneducated woman of the time to understand. She's reflecting on these things. And then when the shepherds leave, I just, I only have about a minute left, not even, so finish about the shepherds. When the shepherds leave, they thank God for the experience. They say, wow, we got to see the Messiah. Wow, we got to see the newborn king. Wow, we got to see the son of David. We've heard about this all our lives. We got to physically experience it. So while Mary's pondering these things and reflecting on these things, these simple shepherds are celebrating the fact and giving thanks that they got to see what they got to see. Well, I know the music's playing. Wow. So I hope you're all having an awesome Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. And again, Merry Christmas from Gift of Grace Radio. And we'll see you next week.